the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. And part of this is realizing there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. You see, it's not even the quantity of our prayers that matter. It's the quality. Now, let me be careful here. I'm not saying, well, as long as, you know, it's kind of like this myth of parenting where you have quality time and quantity time. Well, I don't have much time to spend with my kids, but I spend quality time with them. And that's a recipe for disaster. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past you've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible with you Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount with his successful Kingdom Living teaching series. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. There's a thee and thou, a me and you, a a we and you component here. This is an address to God. Even Paul, again, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9, three times I pleaded, I pleaded with the Lord, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. You know, I want to modify that definition. Prayer is an intimate conversation with God. Because I'm sure Paul, when it says he pleaded, and sometimes you've pleaded for prodigals or people who were hurt or situations and circumstances, and you've poured out your heart to God. It's a personal, intimate conversation with God. And you really see that with Paul. Here he's got the all the pressures that he faces and the concerns about the church and he's got this thorn in his flesh and in his strength he knows he can't handle it and he's pouring out his heart to God. Prayer is an intimate, is talking to God in an intimate, personal way. And picking up that intimate theme, I want to add this to it. Let's add to our understanding. Prayer is an expression of your sincere desire to build your intimate relationship with God. You see, this intimacy, this developing, blossoming continuing closeness takes place through prayer. Again, Psalm 145, 18 and 19, the Lord is near to all who call on him, 
to those who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. You know, the gods of the pagans are far off and unknowable, but our God is close up and personal. He lets us understand how he thinks, what he wants for us through his word. God speaks to us through his word, and we speak back to him through prayer. And prayer pleases God. Where do we see this? We see this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, through 18. It says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. There's a good habit. Pray habitually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. God wants us to pray. He wants us to reach out to him. He wants us to connect to him. He wants us to be close to him. He wants us to talk with him. He wants greater intimacy with you and me, with us. God wants us to pray. He doesn't need our prayers. Prayer never changes God's mind. Can you imagine 100 people over here praying for this and 50 people over here praying for that and 10,000 people over here praying for that and God going, well, I was going to do this, but these guys outvoted these guys and these guys doesn't work that way. And that's sort of the background I wanted to give you on prayer. And now I want us to look at Matthew 6, 5 through 13, and I want you to draw... I want, you, I want us to draw three conclusions regarding our approach to prayer, regarding our understanding of prayer, that we might prepare, be prepared to take our prayer lives to a higher level, that we might pre- be prepared to look at our approach to prayer and grow. You know, I'm, I'm reminded that, and I'm not comparing us to reptiles, reptiles grow until they die. I'm not, you might think I look like a lizard, but that's not what I'm talking about here. And you know, some of these, I think it's sequoias grow until they die, and Christians are to grow until they die. So let's draw three conclusions from our text in Matthew 6, 1, 5 through 13, so that we can continue to grow in Christ and in our intimacy with Christ and in our prayer life so that we can be used and useful to him. And the first conclusion I'd like you to draw, and it's pretty simple, it's probably review for many people here, is that there is a right way and a wrong way to pray. There is a right way and a wrong way to pray. You know, and this is true of every important thing in life. There's a right way to do something and a wrong way to do it. There's a right way to change a tire and a wrong way to change a tire. And there is a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray. Where do we see that? We see that in Matthew 6, 1 and 5. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, if you're praying for anyone or anybody else, I don't mean interceding, but I mean if you're putting on a show, that's the wrong way to pray. If you're adapting some sort of pagan prayer practice, because it it looks intriguing or exciting and new or whatever else. And you're thinking, well, I can pray like them. Hey, they pray this way. That's what Israel said about the Canaanites, and it got them into a world of trouble. Developing a healthy prayer relationship with God requires our sincerity and our heads and our hearts. A relationship must be based on truth. A relationship with God makes him the focus of our lives, him the center of our concern, not impressing other people. And part of this is realizing there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. You see, it's not even the quantity of our prayers that matter. It's the quality. Now, let me be careful here. I'm not saying, well, as long as, you know, it's kind of like this myth of parenting where you have quality time and quantity time. Well, I don't have much time to spend with my kids, but I spend quality time with them. And that's a recipe for disaster. 
If I feed my daughter one ounce of steak a week and one ounce of water a week, no matter how good an age that steak is, no matter how pure that water is, she's going to die of thirst and she's going to starve. You can't have quality time without quantity time. But what I'm saying is this. There are groups. Uh, I have a slide, I think, of a, of a Buddhist prayer wheel. There we go. And what they do is they have their prayers written on the wheel there. They hold it up and they just spin that thing. Okay? You know, it happens in other places. Some people, pr- pr- you know, just recite seven Our Fathers and seven Hail Marys and everything's right with the world. That is what I mean. It's not the quantity of your prayer. It's the quality of your prayer. Mindless, ritualistic prayer chants on a pagan model do not please God he wants the heart he wants you to pray with your heart mind soul and strength where do we see that in Matthew 6 7 and 8 and when you pray do not pray do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words do not be like them you see that there's a command do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask of him You know, there are many good Christian books written. And one of them which has been abused and turned inside out is the prayer of Jabez. You know, the prayer of Jabez in the Old Testament, there's a description of it. It's about a sentence and a half long in Hebrew. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. And you read, some some people take that and they bend it and twist it. I bet the author of that book is all worked up over it, they bend it. Well, I'll just pray this prayer for 25 years over and over and good things happen. Uh Uh-uh, that's not the way God works. People have perverted the whole idea around it. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. You pray with that heart that Jabez had, that's a different story. You want what he wants and he wanted what God wants and that's the point of the passage. He wanted to live a life pleasing and honoring to God. It wasn't just that, you know, pray this prayer and good things are going to happen. That sounds like health and wealth prosperity gospel to me. It's, it's kind of like the Hindu or the Buddhist prayer wheel. We want to pray from the heart and we want to pray with our heads. We want to pray totally focused on God because there is a right way and a wrong way to pray. And you even see that in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Look at this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, if your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. I think it's pictured here in the next slide. There's a slide here of two people who are un- unreconciled. You know what? If you are unforgiving by nature, you have, to under- you have to wonder if you understood the gospel in the first place, right? You have the story of the ungrateful servant who he's forgiven this huge debt, and then somebody owes him a debt, and he throws him into jail. And what the principle here is this. You know, God only listens to the prayers of his children. And you need to always understand that if your heart is just perpetually offended, angry, and bitter, and resentful, yeah, I don't know if you're in the category where you're going to get your prayers heard. That's what's going on here at the end of uh, Matthew six fourteen and 15. See, prayer reveals the heart. Prayer must come from the heart. Forgiveness reveals a heart that has been forgiven and is grateful. He or she who's been forgiven much forgives much. And because there's a right way and a wrong way to pray, if you're praying with the wrong attitude, like the Pharisee with the tax collector, I'm glad I'm not like this man. I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. He's looking down, not up, so to speak. And the Pharisee won't even look up. And he's just saying over and over, as it says in the text, Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. You know what? That's not vain repetitions. That's prayer from the heart. 
And it said one went away justified and one didn't. So there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. We pray to God for God, for his glory, for the good of others and our own growth. He is the focus of our prayers. We don't pray like the heathen, like the pagans. We just don't chant things over and over without thinking about what we're praying. And we pray, again, with the right attitude. We pray saved as a, as a thankful, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn kind of person who has received grace upon grace from God. We pray with grace upon grace for others, no matter what they've done to us. There is a right way and a wrong way to pray. And that's why it says in Isaiah 1.15, we'll go back there again. Isaiah 1.15, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. There's a right way and a wrong way to pray. There's a right attitude to pray with. And that prayer requires a healthy, right relationship with God. That's the first fact. There's a right way and a wrong way to pray. Second fact, second basic fact about prayer is Jesus must be our primary teacher. Jesus must be our primary teacher. Many people have written books on prayer. Many people have written terrible books on prayer. Many people have written good books on prayer. But why do we want to learn from him? Because he's the only individual who's lived a perfect life and who has taught perfectly on prayer. And why not learn from the master? And what does he say? Again, Matthew 6, 5 through 9. And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door. That's the whole intimacy thing. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Do not be like them. Pray like this. Pray then like this. Pray then this way. Jesus is about to give what should be called the disciples' prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's a tradition. But there is a right way and a wrong way to pray. Pray, Prayer, again, according to Jesus, should be to please God, not men. It is a qualitative act to review, not a quantitative act. And why should we pay attention to what he has to say? Because he's the Son of God, God the Son, the Savior of the world. Because he's God. And God says in verse 9, pray then like this. And the text tells us in Matthew 7, 28 and 29, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. He's the authority. I mean, why go anywhere else? I'm not, believe me, I have 4,200 books in my library. I'm not saying books are bad. Not all books are created equal, that's for sure. Certainly not all commentaries. But the bottom line is so often... We're like the people on Mars Hill wanting something new. And we'll just jump on anything. But the bottom line is Jesus reminds us, and I have this here for us here, at the end of the sermon, remember when we began the series on the Sermon on the Mount, we started at the end and not the beginning? And where did we start? We started at Matthew 7, 24. Every word who, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So he's the authority, and he's told us there is a right way and a wrong way to pray, and next week we're going to go through it inch by inch. You see, he doesn't want us to pray like the Gentiles. He doesn't want us to pray like other people or to impress other people. 
He wants us to pray from the heart and he wants us to pray the way that he instructs. And again, I say again, many people have taught on prayer. Many people have taught poorly on prayer, but only one individual has taught perfectly on prayer. Why not learn from him? You know, it kind of harkens back to the uh, transfiguration. Jesus' glory is revealed and his father goes, this is my beloved son, listen to him. We do well to listen to him when it comes to prayer. We do well. You know, I'm reminded when we don't, we'll do about anything with anyone in any way. You know, one of the most dangerous places in the world for a Christian these days is a Christian bookstore because they sell everything. I mean, they do. And I think I have the slide here. One of the most disappointing books on prayer that I know of lately is The Circle Maker. I think we have a picture of it here. Yeah, there it is by Mark Batterson. It's time you learn the legend of Honey, the circle maker. The legend of Honey. The legend. Okay. A man bold enough to draw a circle in the sand and not budge from it until God answered his impossible prayer for his people. Now, I know that Batterson meant well, but who was Honey? Honey was a Jewish rabbi that lived during the, the intertestamental period where there was no prophetic word from God. During the 450 years of silence, Or did he live then? Because the fact of the matter is, no one even is sure if he exists. He's a legend. So do you want to learn from somebody who never existed? And so we're going to draw a circle in the sand and stand in it and make the the king of the universe, our father in heaven, jump through hoops for us like he's some monkey attached to an organ grinder. Is that what we're going to do? I don't think so. I'm not going to look to a rabbi who denied Christ as his savior, who's living according to Jewish superstition and who has the gall to make demands on a God that he probably knows about but doesn't know if he ever existed in the first place. But you know what? Good and wonderful, kind, loving Christians flocked to this book. Why? Because they wanted to learn how to pray and they wanted their prayers to be more effective and their heart was in the right place but their head was disconnected from the process of discernment. And Christian bookstores sold a bazillion copies of this book. So I want you to understand Jesus is our teacher. Jesus is, he must be, he should be our teacher. And that brings us to our third conclusion. Jesus must be, should be our primary example. Number three, Jesus should be our primary example. There are many terrible examples and there are many good examples, but there's only one perfect example and that's Jesus Christ. So I've got a series here. I'm going to just move through this very quickly. Jesus was a man of prayer. He went out to pray. He prayed all night long. He prayed in different places. And I've got a, just, just some, a selection of Jesus' example for us to follow. And let's kind of get on to that next slide. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed at the commencement of his earthly public ministry. He prayed before healing people. He prayed all night before choosing the 12 in Luke 6, 12, and 13. He gave thanks to his father before feeding the 5,000 in John 6, 11, and the 4,000 in Matthew 15, 36. He prayed before raising Lazarus from the dead in John 11, 41 to 42. And he asked his father, he prayed asking his father to glorify his name in John 12, 27 and 28. He prayed for himself and his disciples and all those who would believe in his name and his high priestly prayer and John 17, 1 to 26. He prayed in Gethsemane before his betrayal for the strength he needed in Matthew 26, 36 to 46. And he prayed after being nailed to a cross in Luke 23, 34, saying, Father, forgive them. They knoweth not what they do. 
That's our example. His dying breath, into thy hands I commend my spirit, Luke twenty three forty six. And after his resurrection, he prayed a blessing on the bread in Luke twenty four thirty. And at his ascension, he prayed with his disciples in Luke twenty four fifty to 53. There's our example, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ tells us in this passage, there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. He is our God and our Savior, and He must be our primary teacher, and we must evaluate everyone and everybody else's practices and recommendations through the lens of His teaching. We need to follow His example because there's never a good time not to pray. John Wesley had a busy schedule, and when he was overwhelmed by a schedule, he used to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, but if he had a busy schedule, he would try to pray from like 4 to 6. He goes, well, I'm really too busy tomorrow to pray from 4 to 6. So I know what I'll do. I'll pray from 2 to 4. That's the way we need to be. That's the way Jesus was. We don't let anything distract our eyes and our head and our heart away from our alone time with God. We cannot afford to do that. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians five sixteen to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So let's review. There's a right way and a wrong way to pray. Jesus should be our primary teacher. He should be our primary example. And next week, we get into part two, principles of prayer. But in the meantime, you're probably saying, so what do I do with this? What you have to ask and answer in your own heart is this. What are my next steps based on what I've heard today? Only you know where you stand and how your relationship and how your prayer relationship with God is and how healthy or or anemic maybe your prayer life is. But let me just give you five quick suggestions for either starting small or starting over. Talk to God regularly. Relationships take work, right? Just take time. Talk to God. You can talk to Him when you're driving in your car. You can talk to Him when you're riding in the elevator. You can talk to Him before you go to bed at night or when you wake up in the morning. And then when your mind and your heart is so burdened for those you love or the situations or circumstances or trials and tribulations of this life, you can't think straight or you're so physically tired you feel like you can't stay awake, write it down. Write it down. Your body is designed to function in a way that when you try to write, you're a little more conscious than you are when you are thinking. The other thing is this, practice. Just practice. Say, I'm going to pray three times this week. If you say, I'm going to pray 365 days in a row, three times a day, that's a great goal. But sometimes it can be a discouraging goal. Just make an appointment with God and keep it. Just say, I'm going to make an appointment today. It's 6 a.m., it's 5 a.m., it's 4 a.m. I'm getting up, I'm going to have lunch today at noon. And after lunch, me and my Father in heaven... The lover and saver of my soul, the author and finisher of my salvation, are going to have some time alone. And then start. Start now. Stop procrastinating. Every New Year's, you know, so I hear people at Christmas say, you know what? January 1, I'm going to lose weight. January 1, I'm going to quit smoking. January 1, I'm going to start exercising. Well, it's December. Why wait till January? Get a running start. Start now. Don't make big plans and you fall into analysis paralysis and you never get around to doing it. Let's pray. Father, help us to be people of prayer the way that you designed prayer, Lord. Help us, O God, as we seek you with enthusiasm, Lord, to not to be distracted, Lord, by any seemingly new innovation or fantastical story of some amazing thing that may or may not have happened. And help us to be balanced, Lord, that we would not take a good example and turn it into a bad practice. But Lord, help us. Help us, oh God, realizing that there is a right way and a wrong way to pray, to look to what Jesus has to say about prayer 
and even to follow the example that he gives us throughout the Gospels and the examples of Paul and others throughout the New Testament, Lord. And, and, and Father, help us to make time. I think of Jesus making time for us, Lord, leaving the glories of heaven and coming on earth and living as a man. And for 32 or three years, Lord, of walking on this earth with three years of earthly public ministry, he made time, Father. Help us to make time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Amen.